Yo, what is going on everyone? Welcome to the second episode of the PTCG Hotline. It's the show with the hottest topic and the hottest talks. We got our co-host Henry Brand and our special guest for the week, Isaiah Bradner. We're going to be taking a look at the hottest topics joining in on this show. And then we're going to have you guys, the viewers, coming into the call live to ask questions and stuff like that. As we hear Isaiah riffle shuffling cards for some reason. So we're going to go ahead and switch over to the guest screen. Here we go. Here we are with our co-host, Henry Brand. How are you doing, my guy? I'm doing great, Jenks. You know, it's a good day. We have a special guest just below us. He's got his own little portion of the screen. How's it going, Isaiah? All right, Mewtwo. I went with Isaiah's guidance and got some tournament keys myself with Mewtwo, but then I've switched to the Lucario Melmetal train after I'm sure everyone has seen some of my tweets where I just get clapped by these players. <laughs> so that's been my my play with Mewtwo. But I will say I've gotten two tournament wins with Mewtwo, so my my qualifications are not going quite as solidly as Isaiah's, but whatever. And then I, or, uh, Henry, I don't believe you're playing, correct? Uh, I'm yet to start my Players' Cup qualification journey. Here in Oceania, I don't think we even get to 128 players uh, qualifying, so I might just play a couple tournaments and leave it at that. Uh, but then I think I'll probably be, yeah, not playing in the actual thing. That's, that's yeah. <laughs> the Oceania region, the only place we can qualify <laughs> with eight reps <laughs> compared to every other region who's stressing. But, uh, yeah, a crazy, yeah, no, we got it chilling. A crazy past couple of weeks. Uh, obviously, we're going to wait for some of the guests to go ahead and join into the Discord, voice their topics. Uh, if you're in chat and want to join in on the live call, make sure you hit exclamation mark Discord, join into the Discord, put your topic in the podcast topics, and then join the waiting room where we'll pull you in. Uh, in the meantime, we're going to go ahead and talk about you know, Players Cup 2, some of the stuff we've been seeing. Uh, I know that there's been these this Japan tournament that's going on. I don't know a whole bunch about it, but maybe our guests or Henry do. And yeah. hopefully we have some good stuff to talk about before we get some guests going. Yeah, okay. So uh, I think the tournament in Japan will be a really cool thing to touch on. Um, before we do, Isaiah, I want to ask you, what do you think your uh, your the root of your success with Mewtwo at the moment is in these tournaments? Do you think it's the prevalence of ADP or just the way people are playing? Um, honestly, I think it's kind of a mix of both. I definitely think the ADP is a favorite matchup, at least 60-40. Obviously, you get the turn two Flare Blitz, they're not going to be able to alter, or sorry, Ultimate Ray, and it, it just kind of goes downhill from them from there. So I think that definitely one part of it is that I hit probably 40% ADP, and every time I hit one, I'm, I'm happy to hit it. But I also think that people really don't know what they're doing when they're playing against me, kind of what you said. Today, like, I made finals in a tournament, and I think I, I basically drew past for the first, like, seven turns. I was down five prize cards against Senna Scorch, and then... Um, in the final turn of the game, I, I stamp knockout a T-Tran, and then he hit into my Mewtwo with a horror, giving me the Flare Blitz knockout back on his Scorch, <laughs> and then I, I just easily won the game from there. So I think that it's a combination of Mewtwo having really good matchups right now, and then people not knowing how to play against it. Yeah, for sure. And do you also think that the uh, meta, since it's a best-of-one knockout kind of tournament, favors Mewtwo, because people are more likely to play the, I guess, standard meta decks like ADP? Uh, rather than, I guess, more fringe things that Mewtwo might struggle with? Oh, for sure. And another thing that's kind of cool about this format is that Mewtwo's actually, it's probably the best deck to donk with right now. You have so many outs that you have Reshizard, you can easily get the Welder attached 200, kill alone active Pokemon. I play Mimikyu Gengar, so I can go something like Horror House into Poltergeist on turn one if they get one Pokemon. Uh, that really lets me capitalize on one slow starts, but then two, it's with the new supporter rule. It's not that unrealistic for your opponent to only have one basic on turn one. So yeah, I think that's one cool thing about Mewtwo. I've I've definitely got a few donks in, but then um, 
yeah, it, it's just a really consistent deck. And like you said, in a best-of-one format, when people are trying to play those consistent decks that Mewtwo wants to hit, uh, it kind of works out for it. Yeah, awesome. So hopefully your last 30 keys can get a similar result. Now, let's have a look at the uh, the Yokohama Champions League. Jenks, have you had, look, had much of a look into that? I actually have not. I watched Celio's video today on why we should have a globalized format or his thoughts on it, and I kind of saw the standings, but I didn't actually look at it in depth. I was getting ready to go to work. So I'm going to go ahead and pull it up on Limitless. Henry, I'm going to let you take it away on this one. All right, so I uh, was lucky enough to catch a little bit of the stream. Um, it was quite interesting. Uh, I mean, it was fascinating. We had 1,500 players at this Yokohama Champions League. So the first tournament back from COVID, and they've got 1,500 players, which is pretty crazy. Um, <laughs> something that stands out to me, uh, the first thing is when I look at the standings on Limitless. Now, of course, take this with a grain of salt. I don't know that of that many players in Japan. I only know maybe less than 15. But uh, I see almost no one that I recognize in the top, maybe 32 all the way. I think the highest I recognized was uh, Sugiyoshi Yamato in 35th. Um, and I might be, maybe I was missing one. No, Takuyaneda at 17th. Yeah. Then everything up from there was pretty unique. And obviously we have a different format to them, but we of course see everyone's favorite deck, uh, Baby Blounds taking the win. <laughs> Did you manage to watch much of this, Isaiah? Uh, no, I didn't watch it, but I've, I've looked at the results a decent bit. And the thing that kind of jumped out to me first is that the the highest placing Zacian ADP is in 14th. Mm. There there wasn't any Zacians in or there wasn't any ADPs in top eight. There uh there was a few in top sixteen, but but that was it. And then obviously we had a bunch a bunch in 32, 64. It looked like it was a pretty popular popular choice. But I thought that was kind of interesting how um you know ADP is kind of kind of dominating over here. We we have a bunch of talk about how it's by far the best deck in format. It should be pan banned. But over in Japan, it's really not that popular. It, it didn't have a great showing and didn't perform well. Yeah, I think probably one of the biggest reasons for that is, of course, Baby Blounds. I think that would keep it in check a fair bit with uh, Fiery Flint and everything like that because they can actually hit that reliable 300 on turn two. And also, I wonder if Colossal proved to be a bad matchup for it because we see a fair bit of Colossal in the top 10. I think we see four in top 10, two in top eight. Uh, and they, it seems like, from them looking at the list, they only play one Probat V and no other support, like two prize support Pokemon. So if ADP wants to win, they have to go through... Uh, three prizes. Sorry, three uh, actual yeah. attacks rather than two. Yeah, I, I was looking at the deck, and I, um, it's very interesting. I'm actually kind of... I don't really understand the deck, I guess. I didn't get to catch the stream, so I understand what it does. I think Colossal does like 130 if you discard a fire, an energy from the top of your deck, right? And um, then... Not quite. Or... If, if, it's a, if it's an energy on the top of your deck, it does more damage and then attaches it to Colossal. Yeah, and then it attaches it. And then it takes four energy to do the the big 240 attack, but whenever I'm looking at this deck, it seems, I guess that, or does it play, no, it doesn't even cry about, the thing that I'm wondering is, I don't really understand how they get their energy on the board, like, other than Colossal accelerating, accelerating to itself, the, all of its attacks are kind of huge, so, I feel like if ADP just gets two attacks off into the Colossal, and maybe even ignores its GX attack, I'm not really sure how the Colossal player comes back from that, but, uh, I, I could be wrong, it looks kind of like a Groudon, but it's a little yeah. bit less powerful, because uh, it can actually die. Well, I think the biggest advantage it has is that it KOs the Dene and Crobat both for one energy. Uh, and that's pretty big. Yeah. And then if you manage to get an attachment onto Colossal turn one, turn two, you use the first attack. And then on turn three, you are using the 240 attack. So it's not unrealistic to maybe KO an ADP like in two hits uh, straight away. And I think then from then on, it kind of just preys on the Dene once the first Colossal goes down. 
So I think I would see that matchup being fairly favorable just based on the way the engines are built. Like if ADP maybe went slower and used maybe tag call and didn't rely on Dedenne so much, then maybe it'd have a better matchup. But I think that the way it's built at the moment, uh, it definitely probably seems favorable. Vita turned it as pretty reliably. And Colossal with Stone Fighting also has a lot of HP. Yeah, uh, that, that is very true. And one thing is, I think that at least the list that we have, though, I think it was in top eight, yeah, seventh place. It's a really cool list. It has a 3-3 Macargo line, 3 Orangaroo, and like you said, only that that one Kerbat Vita draw card. So um, I, I really like this list. It looks cool. I'd be interested to try it out. We really won't get a chance to try this deck out because Jirachi Prism and Macargo both rotate before we will get the Colossal. But I think this, yeah. is, a, this is a really cool deck. It, it, it just looks cool, right? Like, Macargo is a card that's really underutilized, I feel. It's been used in a few top decks. It was used in that Buzz Garb deck. It was used with Zorark a little bit, but... Overall, the card hasn't really seen, I guess, its full potential. And getting to see it again in this deck is really cool. It's awesome. Jenks, do you reckon that Colossal has any legs without Mag Cargo? Honestly, I, think we, I think we covered this a little bit on the last cast, and I think you said it was decent. We had something that could ability lock to pair it with it would be pretty strong. I think what's, what's crazy about this event is obviously the ADP not performing, but then again... The Pog Championship format uh, ADP kind of underperformed there, so I mm-hmm. I don't think it's surprising to see these types of results. Uh, and then Bob in chat mentioned that the or no sorry Jake in chat noticed that the Baby Blounds list is wild. Like if you look at this thing, it's not even really Baby Blounds. There's just two Baby Blounds and a bunch of Fire Pokemon and then Cramorant. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think like it's really neat that these decks are doing well and the Colossal. You know, it sounds solid. I like the uh, gust up something and hit it with the combo, like a Dedenne or a Crobat, and just take that one shot. So, yeah, the Colossal deck sounds pretty cool. Um, unfortunately, I don't know if it'll do well post without those cards, but I don't know. This this tournament's pretty sick, and honestly, in the ter- time that we are right now, holding a 1,500-person regionals is kind of crazy, but uh, they successfully did it, and then if for anyone that didn't see the tweets about the event, their stream setup was, like, crazy. They had, uh, everyone had masks on. There were, like, dividers between the people. Um, yeah, it looked really cool. And, you know, I, I don't think I'm surprised that ADP is not doing super well here or dominating just because that POG format is kind of the same thing. For sure, for sure. We yeah, see you. Uh, I have... Oh, sorry, my bad. You guys there. Oh, no, no, no. Go, go ahead, Henry. Go ahead. What are you going to say? Right, um, I think it's just interesting how, like, there's a huge variety of decks. We have, like, Mad Party. Um, kind of, like, everywhere almost. There's so much. If you look in uh, the huge thing, and there's a lot of people, and it's not just a fluke, really. Like The amount of flukes are much lower. And also, I want to point this out, because I don't think this is a deck we really have in our format. There are two Donphan decks in top 128. <laughs> so I, I need to figure out what Donphan does. So it's it's not out yet. Does anyone actually know what Donphan does? I have no idea. I know the fan P can... If you get some crazy combination of cards, one shot you turn it is. But I have no idea what Dante does. Well, let me have a quick look. Pull this up. It's from Amazing Vault Tackle. It does, for one energy, 120, and it does 20 to each of it, your benched Pokemon. Now, I don't know how that's quite good enough, but they made it work. Um, <laughs> yeah. Just having a look at this deck, it's kind of crazy. Once again, abusing that combo, maybe... Maybe the ADPization of the Japanese format is just combo. Like it's it's in all these decks. <laughs> maybe maybe the, the the Don fan deck is just is ADP you know on crack. They just they just gust your Dedenne's and Crobats and one shot of for energy. Like <laughs> I must be missing something here because that's all I see. 
Yeah, I mean, I guess that's basically what it does. It's got, it's got a Beast Bringer for the Buzzwall as well. It plays Beast Bringer, it plays Vitality Band, a Skateboard, three Dojo. Oh, this is crazy. What the hell is this? It's got one of everything. I know they do, Japanese do like their one-ofs. Uh, and I even saw yeah. in the Blacephalon deck we had two Will Jenkins Pokemon catches. So Damn. it seems like they've yeah, gone I... a little bit crazy. So I was going to talk about the, the Blacephalon deck because Will was saying that it wasn't really a Blacephalon deck at all. And this was actually not something new. The Japanese brought this exact same type of deck to the Pog Championships. Yoshi played this deck, and he was my one loss the entire event. So this isn't something that's new to them. They've been playing this this type of list where they only play two Blown, and they kind of build it like Welder Box. They have the Reshizard. They have this list uh, doesn't play the Heatran. Um, Yoshi didn't either, I think. It was just Reshizard, Blacephalon, GX, and then maybe one or two other attackers in there with the Blown. And what they did was there are matchups where you just couldn't go blown. So they would just lead Rush's Yard Welder onto it and then try to smash your field. And obviously it worked against me. It worked really well here. It took the dub. So it, it might look weird at first, but this is not a new thing in Japan. This is something that they've actually played as ordinary. This is their this is kind of their baby blounds, is this weird hybrid build that we don't really see in the in the US. I think it's really cool, and I almost wonder and if then, it has legs coming in without uh like without Fiery Flint, if you can just use Reshizard as an early attacker while you can't set up Baby Blown? Yeah, I think um, I think it's okay. I haven't tried it myself. I've talked to some friends about it who, who have tested it, but I think it's definitely a lot worse, obviously, without Flint. The the problem with the deck, I think, in this format is that Baby Blown is kind of weak. In that format, Baby Blown is obviously really strong, but it's a lot weaker in this format. Um, but obviously, you know, it hasn't been tested, so who knows if who knows if it could it could be good. And then uh, one thing that I noticed is that Picaram would actually won the the Atlas Bog Championships. It was kind of the the BDIF pre rotation. the The best placement is actually outside of top thirty two at thirty third. So I'm guessing that's because of the new fighting next Colossal and Don fan pushing it down. But I just thought it was kind of interesting that it kind of dominated the the Pog Championships, and then here it is all the way down at the bottom. So what do you guys think about Celio's video? I don't know if you guys saw it, but do you think we should have a globalized format? I think some of his takes were that the basically the research and development team from uh, TCPI or TCP, I guess, they test for Japan's format. But then when cards or rotations happen here because they don't happen as frequently in Japan, they usually don't test for them or don't undertest or undertest. I mean, I guess we really don't know for certain. But what do you guys think about that? And do you think that this format that we have was just under-tested? Because you know, the Biloba ban and Misanagius ban, to probably majority of people, seem pretty like weird. But in Japan, you know, they have cards that we don't, and the combination still exists. They would still have a Ranguru at this current time. So what do you guys think about uh, globalized format? Uh, I think... I don't know. I I did not watch this video, but if that's what the sum of it is, I think that the globalized format is probably in all situations ideal, right? Like if in in a perfect world, it's probably better if we have the same format as Japan and then we can get the cards at the same time and you know we can match up and whenever they come over for worlds, they don't have to adjust and, and all that stuff. And that would maybe make for uh, a bit of a better format because as you said, we don't know if this format has been tested. Maybe they didn't think about the specific format. But I also I think that while it's ideal, it probably isn't the biggest deal. Because if they're testing for, for formats over in Japan, as long as the only thing that's happening is our cards are getting rotated out, I don't think that any insane combinations should happen in, in the standard format, I guess. Like, maybe this 
maybe they didn't want this exact center to exist, but I guess what I'm trying to say is it isn't it isn't that huge, right? There aren't any insane combos in standard because they wouldn't exist in Japan standard. So maybe they the formats aren't as healthy as they would be, but I don't think it makes uh, as big a deal if we have a globalized format. But I do agree it would in, in most situations it would just be ideal. If that makes any sense. Yeah, I think one issue that people have touched on in the past, which I don't know whether you see it as an issue or not, um, if we have the same format as Japan, but they get the cards first, it kind of removes like a large yeah, amount of creativity from, uh, at least for the West. We kind of like just kind of mimic this early on. And I know Armada always ends up being a little bit different to Japan's just based on, I guess, their list being very early on and then gradually we develop. And in general, play styles are a little bit different when it comes to uh, our regions and the and Japanese style in general. But I think still just uh, not being able to just, I guess, be thrown in the deep end straight away when a new set comes out can be looked on as a pretty big downside. Uh, and so that's kind of, I guess, one one appeal of having separate formats since our sets aren't synced. Uh, but yeah, at the same time, one does wonder if the game is balanced a little bit more for Japan. I I, I agree with that, Henry. Yeah, if if they got the cards beforehand, then that would be you know um, that would be huge for us. We we would have kind of the set meta deck. We wouldn't have to think. We wouldn't have to kind of traverse those those early waters, um, like you said. So we kind of have that at Worlds times. So whenever they have the the set first, we look over there. We see. Uh, what what did well we try to tra try to transition that into our format but if we had the exact same format and they had the cards you know two months in advance then things might be a lot more boring because people already know you know what's doing well it would kind of just be we'd like almost have like a, a a scrying glass we could just look in the future and see what we would want to play so um I, I agree that if if we don't get the cards at the same time as japan then it would be better for for us to have a separate format just you know it makes it more fun i i would rather have the challenge of building a new thing rather than having um, Japan working it along with us. Absolutely, yeah. I agree with that. Uh, I think it'd be really cool if we had a global format um, where cards got released at the same time globally, but it uh, seems like too much would have to happen for that. And I agree with Isaiah. Just navigating those early waters is usually a very fun and stressful thing, especially if you have a big you know, international tournament or something going on and you're like just thrown into a format and you're like, oh, I don't know if my opponent's deck is like the list I was testing against or whatever. So there's a lot of, you know, navigation, like Isaiah said, in those early formats. And yeah, I think it's really cool. We got a ton of cool stuff coming out of Japan this week. I think that was probably the main talking points. Uh, I don't think there was anything else, Henry, maybe I'm missing something, but with that being said, I think we're going to go ahead and jump into some callers. Yeah, no, I think we're all good. We covered most of it. All right, so before we jump into the callers real quick, I want to explain the format for all the people here. We have a ton of people here. I'm glad to see it. Glad, you, uh, glad to see you guys are here for the hotline. I'm going to quickly go over the format, and then we're going to jump into some callers. Also, we decided that for the PDCG hotline, we're going to take a little bit of a more relaxed uh, approach, you know, not as not as serious, not completely competitive all the time. So, you know, if you had a had a hot food take or wanted to ask the special guest something, you could go ahead and come in here because I know Isaiah has some pretty interesting food takes. But uh, the steps to oh get boy. onto the hotline, <laughs> the steps to get onto the hotline is going to be exclamation mark Discord is going to take you to the Jenks's Lab Discord. Once you're in there, you should see a welcome screen to the instructions uh, channel for the PDCG hotline. Go ahead and give that a quick read. Then once you have read that, go ahead and post the topic that you want to come on the cast and talk about. This is a live viewer call, so you are going to get dragged into the live call and voice your opinion. Please don't be childish about this. You know, we don't want to ruin a good thing. Go ahead and put your topic in there. I'll go ahead and say join the waiting room. And then once you have joined the waiting room, in no order, we will drag you from the waiting room call into the live call. So with that being said, I'm going to go ahead and drag in our first guest. Go ahead and give him a little bit of a heads up. 
just so that he is ready because I know they're going, they're talking in the waiting room. I decided to give him the unmute. But here we go. Our first topic, <laughs> our first caller. Here we go. How's it going? Welcome to the PCG Hotline. What's your name and where are you calling from? Yo, what's going on, Will? My name is Alex Garcia, the guy with two hats, and I am calling from New York. Alex Garcia, the man, the myth, the legend, recurring caller. He was here on episode one. Glad to have you back. Today, we kind of just went over this. You got a different topic. Go ahead and give it to us. So I want to discuss something very near and dear to my heart. Candy. <laughs> but not just any candy. Sour candy. So, I, you know, I'm like a connoisseur of food, connoisseur of candy. And I'm pretty proud of that, not going to lie. I've had all my sorts of diff different sweets. But... One thing in particular I've noticed very recently, why the heck are sour Skittles so sour? Like they're more sour like than those extreme sour Sour Patch Kids. Those things are like nothing. Those things, they're obviously more sour than regular Skittles, more sour than Sour Mike and Ike's for crying out loud. What do you think about that? Okay, uh, I'll start off on this one. I, I don't think that... I haven't had sour Skittles very many times, but I actually am definitely going to agree with Alex on this one. I think they're just way too sour. They're, like, unenjoyably sour. You you eat them, and then there's, like, no taste. It's just, like, pain in your mouth, you know? Uh, so so I agree with Alex. They, they look really good. Like, they have the, the dust on them and stuff, and then, like, sour Skittles, you're like, oh, you know, maybe this would be better than regular Skittles, but then you eat them, and they're just so sour for no reason. So I am with you on this one, Alex. I mean, at uh, least warheads are sour, and then you have that little sweet. So after that, like, it's meant for to be, like, yep. for kids who are daring each other. Like, you pop two in your mouth at once as, like, you lost a bed or something. And then they're sweet after, so <laughs> you don't hurt yourself to death. And don't, like, I don't know, something happens to your mouth where it, like, disintegrates. But sour Skittles, my mouth is actually hurting right now. I'm going to be honest. Mm -hmm. I had some, I was like, whoa. Well, Alex, uh, it's always a pleasure when you come on because you always bring a, a special energy that we can't really replicate ourselves. Um, <laughs> I personally haven't had these sour Skittles. Uh, we don't have them down uh, here. Uh, but they sound a little bit enticing because regular Skittles are nice and sweet, but you've kind of got me a bit scared with them. Jenks, do you, uh, have you had these before? Yeah, honestly, F and chat for Henry, you know, doesn't have all the, the diverse options that we hear, have here in uh, uh, the States. And you walk into a supermarket and you're like, oh, okay. I actually had the pleasure of taking Henry, Stefan Ivanov, uh, Joao, uh, and Burt Walters into a just your average U.S. Safeway in Washington, D.C. And boy, was that an experience finding double stuff Oreos and different stuff. The, the marketing, the placement of products, honestly top notch. And I think our, our guests of the U.S. were quite overwhelmed. But for sour Skittles, I've only had them a few times. Not the biggest fan of sour candy myself. But uh, as I as my brother is in the chat talking about it, they like scratch your gums. I'm not really about it. Uh, honestly, sour yep, candy, probably yep. not a vibe. I'd you know much rather prefer a nice chocolate bar or something, you know, fat kid Ooh. life. But uh, sour Skittles, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm with you, Alex. Okay, no, 100%. I respect. I respect. Hundred percent with you, Alex. They, they are they are way too sour, my guy. Like I and I love mm -hmm. sour candies. I when they had Atlantic City, I was going all after the sour taffies. Like just I was like stuffing them down. They were that place had such good taffy. I would also like to say. Shout out to Atlantic City and Ocean City across the bridge. Some of the best taffy you could ever find, like, in the entire world, in my opinion. Even though I have not been mm, across dang. the world that many times, but no leaks. <laughs> <laughs> we'll but trust yeah, you, we'll trust you. Painful, but 
if you can get past the very pain, that's even worse than Warheads, in my opinion, because and I've eaten Warheads many times. It can be still nice sweetness, but yeah, Henry, I I might have to ship you out a small little package. <laughs> you got at least got to try them to get it out All of right. the system. I I think I might just have to, Alex. I don't think I really have a choice here. If you're willing to pay the twenty dollars <laughs> shipping for under a pound of stuff, I think it's. Not <laughs> <a bad. laughs> it's, it's, but the only thing is, Henry's got to do a live recording of him eating the sour skittles. I think I can do that. I can handle that. You heard it here. Let's go. Sour Ping. skittles on the PDCG hotline with Ben Rebrand the next time. We'll get them. Alex, once again, thank you so much for coming on. We always enjoy you. And like Henry said, your your energy is unmatched. But we're going to go ahead and get into the next caller. So any last <laughs> words before we uh, have you head out? Yeah, just thanks for having me. Everything's delicious here, I guess. I hope you guys are all hungry and wanting a midnight snack now. And I hope to see you guys soon. All right. Thank you, Alex. We'll see you. Yeah, good to talk to you, Alex. See you guys. Thanks, Alex. All right. Going to go ahead and let our next caller know, just so everyone in chat knows, already said it, exclamation mark Discord, join the instructions channel, peep it, read it, and then get into the waiting room. Going to go ahead and drag in our next guest, another recurring, returning person. Here we go. I'm going to go ahead and give him the heads up. I uh, decided to unmute the waiting room channel. Here we go. Three, two, one. Yo, welcome returning caller. What's your name and where are you calling from? Uh, Ian Robb, calling from Rhode Island. All right, Ian Robb, the Picaram King, qualified for that Players' Cup, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> what is the topic for today? ADP is actually fine and does not need to be banned. All right, well, we're going to go ahead and start with Isaiah on this. I think I have my own opinion. <laughs> All right. Okay, so I, I actually... Wait, does does Ian have an opinion? Because he has a question, so yeah. if he has an opinion, I feel like I he's think the card it. is actually is fine. <clears throat> it's because, like, I think it's just that, um, like, taking extra prize, yes, it's, like, inherently breaks the game, but taking two energy and taking an attack can be incredibly slow, and I just don't think people are building their decks to actually handle the, the ADP matchup, and that's why they keep losing. All right, so uh, I, I will go on. Um, my take is I don't really have a solid stint on this. I've been thinking about this a lot, and I'm pretty sure this is the answer that I'll give. I I think that the card, I think the card definitely could be banned. I think it's a broken enough card. The the text is absolutely insane. Taking an extra prize card whenever you take a knockout is nothing we've seen ever before in the trading card game. So I think that a ban on the card would not be unreasonable. I wouldn't be upset if they banned the card. Um, obviously, it does gatekeep some decks. I've tried to build a bunch of decks, and then obviously it just loses the ADP. You can say that for a bunch of different decks, but specifically in this case, I think ADP is a gatekeeper. But at the same time, I don't necessarily think it needs to be banned. I, I think it is a very good card, and it does kind of break the game, but it, it isn't you know, it isn't insane. It isn't toxic. There are ways to beat it, like Ian said. So I, I would probably lean on the side of I would slightly like to see it banned. Uh, I, I just think it would be interesting during these times to, to have that shake up for the format. Especially when you know we're in these players' cup where people are complaining about it being only ADP, that would bring a lot of variety to the table. But I don't think that it, it needs to be banned. Although I would, uh, I think it's like kind of in the middle where it could be banned, but it, it doesn't have to be. Yeah, I agree with you, Isaiah. I think that uh, I don't think it needs to be banned. And ADP to me feels like more of a symptom than the problem itself. Uh, there's definitely the kind of the systems we have at the moment is what are enabling ADP to be so strong. And I think it is uh, undisputed 
best deck in format, that doesn't always mean it's the best deck to play. Um, but in terms of base power yeah. level, it definitely is the highest, right? Like, you can almost win any matchup if, you know, you draw properly or things kind of align for you and more consistently than any other deck can. Uh, but the thing is, uh, I guess that when you lose to it, it feels very uninteractive. You know, ADP doesn't really touch your active <laughs> Pokemon in most games. Uh, and that kind of thing, uh, previously, like the top decks in the past, let's say like, I don't know, when Pika, when it just came out and team up, uh, Zoroark decks, things like that, decks that were so dominant, um, were always a fair bit skillful, you know, to play in, especially the mirror matches or whatever. But the fact that ADP feels very, I guess, uninteractive and things like that is what makes people really want to see it banned because it's just, I guess, no one enjoys playing it or playing against it. I'm in the same boat. Yeah, I think that... Uh, uh, I, I was going to say one quick thing. I think the one interesting thing is ADP, Ian, you said that, you know, you commit two energy, you have to commit an, an attack, which sounds like a lot, but at the same time, in this current format, the way lists are being built, you can get that attack off on turn one, and that's actually a huge swing, especially with the supporter rule. If the ADP goes second and gets the attack off on turn one, there's very little other decks can do, you know, to keep up with that I insane pace. So I think that in theory, right, the, the double attachment GX, it seems kind of slow. You get the GX off on turn two. Your opponent has time to stabilize. That sounds fine, but whenever um, it can just happen at lightning speed and decks are so consistent now, ADP can do whatever it wants pretty much. That's when I think it may become a problem. But go ahead, Will. Yeah, I'm in the same boat. I uh, originally was on the stance that ADP should not be banned at all uh, because I just kind of figured people were complaining too much, you know, yada, yada, yada. As someone, as a, as a ADP player, I was completely fine abusing the powers that are in the deck, and I didn't realize how big of a problem it is playing from the other side. Now that I've played a few Players' Cup qualifiers, you can see by my tweets, I have a, a plethora of cool clips of me just getting, you know, having a good time on the PTCGO with some Super Mario Bros. 2 music on it. I'm on. I, I think I would agree with Isaiah. I think that the card definitely deserves a ban, but at the same time, if we have to, you know, live with it for a little bit longer, it's you know, it's whatever. Uh, I'm sure as heck am like proud or happy that we're not playing with this format in real life. I feel like I'd be quite discouraged uh, if that was <laughs> the case because I would show up to a league cup, you know, vibe out with the homies and get ADP'd in four turns and lose. Uh, and another thing that I noticed is we talked on this a little bit earlier. Isaiah's been running through events with Mewtwo. If you miss a beat with no matter what deck you're playing and ADP, you know, does what it wants to, you kind of lose. Uh, and it's really sad. There's not a whole lot of comeback potential with Reset Stamp not being seen in a whole lot of decks, usually now opting for Marnie because there's too many outs on Stamp. You know, Oracorio GX is running rampant in these ADP decks. There's a plethora of uh, draw-based Pokemon and supporters. So... You know, you can't really stamp, plant, or anything your ADP opponent because they just draw out of it. And it's, it's really annoying. Uh, there's, there seems like there's no comeback potential. So if you miss a beat, you just fall behind and then lose. So I, I think I'm, on, I'm more towards the side that ADP should be banned after this Players' Cup experience. But I definitely agree with Isaiah's point and think it's a valid one. Uh, do you have any counter, uh, Ian? It's more like ADP is more symptom of the format than the actual, like the card being the issue in my opinion. Like if the, I don't think if the cardization is ever printed, people will be complaining as much as they are. So then the takeization is the problem. I think it's I think this is more the format overall. Honestly, mm -hmm. not even like just Zacian. I mean, we've kind of gotten to yeah. the point where it's like you can't go back, right? I mean, I think a lot of people think that there's too many consistency things. You know, whether that's a Pokemon, whether that's a draw supporter. Uh, and then everything has huge hit points. Um, were there things in particular with the format you didn't like? 
Persistent Cult feels like a different game now than even, honestly, like, a couple months ago. It's just, like, the goal of the game used to be, like, you know, you could actually win not just by taking six prizes the quickest way possible, but instead just play a slower game and actually be able to counter what they're doing. Instead of being, all right, what is my path to get six prizes the quickest possible? I mean, I yep. can agree with that. I mean, we saw lots of the different strategies. Obviously, were the mill decks, and then uh, for the Atlas Pog, I guess, is the recent previous format. Uh, Isaiah and I both top-aided with Picaram, where we have a comeback potential. You know, you have Raichu, you can stamp people, you can paralyze them, and then, you know, just because you dead draw early, you can still get in there and make a comeback. So, yeah, I can definitely agree with that statement. The game is definitely different. It is a very, I need to find XYZ cards in this order and then win from there, and that XYZ is usually altered boss boss. So, you know, and depending on the deck you're playing, it could be Welder, it could be requiring a metalization. You just need you need the things to go correctly, and like I said earlier, there's no real comeback. Yeah, and I think uh, to add to what Ian's saying is almost in the past, yeah, you play for, I guess, board tempo and rather than just rushing prizes. And the biggest example is now with boss, you use it always, like, I guess almost always because you wanted to accelerate your prize thing. But in the past, let's say there was, like, Lysander, there was Shaman, there was Parallel City, and you had to, like, interact. Do I want to use, you know, Lysander early to, like... I guess, hinder my opponent's setup, slow down their board, but at the same time, I'm not setting on my board. And so you had these kind of risk-reward decisions you had to make. Do I knock out the Shaman now, risk getting end low, but also if I don't knock it out, it could get like Sky Returned or Parallel City. Like those kind of decisions and playing around that, don't really we don't really see them at the moment. And I think that is, uh, I guess, the problem that Ian's touching on. Yeah, after everything like playing this format, it just makes me miss like Zeropod Mirrors and all that, the whole format. Hmm. Basically saying ADP Keldeo's fun deck um, wasn't super broken against everything, and uh, you know it was interactive. The Mewtwo players could use player skill to use Greninja GX and bench it and go through your Keldeos that way, or if they didn't know what they were doing, they would discard it, then you lost zone it. So back to that, um, I guess it was Ultra Prism through Cosmic Eclipse format. You know that I that was a fine format. And it played out quite differently from this one, but I mean, unless anyone else has anything to add, I think that's a good good wrap-up on that topic Zacian being the problem of the format kind of a kind of a cool take yeah i oh i have something to say i kind of have a take on that i don't really know that Zacian is the i don't really know that it's fair to say that Zacian is the problem of the format because whenever you think about adp Zacian, the Zacian part is so irrelevant in like 90 percent of games right like it, you don't need Zacian to go attach twice to adp gx boss accelerate to adp boss again so I don't really know if it's fair to say Zacian's uh, a problem because while Zacian is just kind of the perfect partner, it has an insane ability, it does a ton of damage with its attack, I don't think that the attack damage comes up a lot. I think that most of the time the game is just, you know, I could have any Pokemon that did 150 damage to accelerate with, with ADP, and I would still win the game. Um, I don't really need it to be exactly Zacian. Yeah, I think that... If, if that uh, makes any sense. No, I agree. It's not Zacian that's the problem. It's, uh, I think, so ADP is a card that alters the pace of the game right so but in, in very like mm -hmm. precise ways when it was adp keldeo so you attach you attach you gx then you attach and then you attack you accelerate and even then you had a hard damage cap but with metal saucer exactly it removes the fixed like pace that adp has and removes a lot of the counterplay with it so things like energy denial things like uh just knocking out the adp after altered suddenly don't really matter anymore in a lot of scenarios uh because you mm -hmm. just have metal source to recover and that kind of volatility is really what I guess pushes ADP over. But at the same time, there's a lot of other things that enable it. Like if we didn't have the Dene, the deck wouldn't be good. If we didn't have boss, the deck wouldn't be good. Like there's a whole bunch of 
things. And that's why I think it's more of a symptom than a problem. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah, because like if Formite could go slower, if Eternus didn't have to bench the Crobats, if it could just, you know, pass and, and chill, then ADP wouldn't be as good, obviously. Right. But um, but yeah, it goes as fast. But I agree. It's it's the, just the recovery that ADP has where you can saucer back on board and then it doesn't have the checks kind of that the ADP Keldeo had. Yeah. All right, that's going to wrap it up on this topic. Ian, once again, thank you so much for coming on. Yeah. Uh, you know, well, we'll hopefully see you again in the future. The next person I'm going to go ahead and bring in is going to be something that is similar to the topic uh, that we have now. I'm going to go ahead and pull him out of order. But before we have you go out, Ian, any final thoughts? Uh, I think so. I think that was good. Thank you for having me. All right, no problem. Have a good one. Yeah, later, yeah. Ian. All right, so our next caller, this has something to do with the standard format already. We're going to go ahead and introduce him here. Welcome to the PDCG Hotline. This is a new guest. What's your name and where are you calling from? Hey, um, my name is Noah Bujak. I am from Vancouver, British Columbia. Let's go, Noah. Welcome to the PDCG Hotline. What is your topic? And let's talk about it. Um, so my topic is, um, in my opinion, standard's biggest problem is that there just aren't enough interesting effects in the format, especially on trainer cards. All the trainer cards have very simple effects, and most of the best Pokemon are simply so good because of their high HP and damage and nothing really else. So, yeah, so... yeah. For a big example, um, ADP Zacian mostly just hits hard. You know, obviously the extra prize is like a major effect too. But um, I would have to say that um, Zacian is is partly another big issue, and simply the fact that Ultimate Ray is able to one hit knock out almost anything that's worth two prizes adds on to that effect. And uh, a deck like Eternatus VMAX, it just has 340 HP and hits for 270 damage. Nothing really interesting about it. Just hits hard. Same with something like Sand Scorch. Too much HP just hits hard. Nothing really interesting about it. Yeah, I think that kind of an interesting point in, and kind of a funny thing is that uh, the one part of this game that hasn't really gotten power crept is our support Pokemon, right? Like we have Dedenne and Shaman. Uh, we have Shaman and we had Dedenne and now we have Crobat. And while we have both of them, like Dedenne is probably a better effect than, than any ones we had previously, they still have low HP. They still have that, that punishing effect of benching them. And I think that that's kind of interesting because if you're power creeping the entire rest of the format, I think you kind of have to power creep the draw Pokemon too. Because imagine if the Dene and Crobat had like, I don't know, 210 HP. ADP would be so much worse because they couldn't boss it, right? They would boss it and hit it, and then like nothing would happen. It would obviously change the format a ton, but I think that that's one interesting thing um, that kind of pops up from what Noah's saying is that, uh, I don't know, it, it didn't really go along exactly with this point, but... Everything is power crept except for these support Pokemon. They just kind of play perfectly into ADP. Yeah, um, I think that when it comes to things, it almost feels like we have no kind of, not lock effects necessarily, but there's no restricting what your opponent does in most scenarios, like aside from maybe Crushing Hammer, but you know that's kind of random. Like in the past, what we had Parallel City, Hexmaniac, Garbodor, uh, you know, I mean, like, efficient item lock that isn't Vic of old. Things like that that you could actually, like, play different games. And think about Mega Ray. It was basically the same deck that Eternatus was, uh, if not stronger, because you had Shaman, you had Spirulink, you'd attack turn one, things like that. Uh, but suddenly, it wasn't as good in the format, because Garbodor, N, Parallel City, all of these things, like, shut it down a fair bit. Whereas now there's no restrictors. And it feels like the way that they're designing the game is so that you kind of, yeah, can't interact with what your opponent is doing. And... That way, people get to enjoy their decks, their fun decks more, I guess, if they want to like play all their cards and hit the big damage because there's nothing stopping them and restricting them. And obviously, that's a really unhealthy way, at least in, I think, uh, most competitive players' uh, minds 
Uh, but it seems to be the way they're going with the game design at the moment. I do agree with your topic, Noah. Uh, Jenks, what do you reckon? I agree 100% with what Henry said. Uh, if you guys haven't seen the first episode of The Hotline, we touched on cards that could be reprinted or new cards that could be created to fix some of the format's problems. And a lot of what Henry just mentioned is stuff we talked about on the last one. Stuff like garb, uh, you know, all these things that restrict your opponent. And I think Noah's 100% correct in saying that stuff is way too simple. You know, attach energy from the discard. You know, attack for a certain amount of damage with no effect. Like, very blade. So I think there's just... Yeah, you're right. There's not a lot of trainers or Pokemon that are controlling in the game. The biggest example would be something like Excadrill, and, uh, you know, it can't really, I mean, to my knowledge, it can't really win in the time limits that are in these uh, Players' Cup formats, and it is super difficult to play. It's not a Rangaroo. It's a little more uh, little more than that. Um, I don't know if Isaiah's messed with the, uh, Excadrill at all to talk on that, but, yeah, I think we would all agree that stuff is too basic and there's nothing restrictive that's preventing your opponent from doing anything. Yeah, and I want to touch on one more thing as well. With um, N in the past, uh, it was a really restrictive effect, and it was a really interesting effect, because obviously if you got ahead, not only could your opponent end you, but your ends become weaker. Uh, but also, it's not like Stamp. Stamp is kind of, you play it and you want it to stick, like you need it to stick. Whereas with N, uh, you can, you're going to play it, I guess, three times almost, and if your opponent doesn't miss the first time, you're gradually going to make them not draw optimally over those maybe three or four turns that you're going to be restricting the hand size. And that's kind of what made some interesting gameplay and things like that, whereas we don't have interesting effects like that at the moment. Even when Reset Stamp first came out, it was, it was a I mean, the big difference is um, after ADP and then, I guess, bet, bigger and better three prizes came out. I think that it, it kind of warped the entire format. I think that the maybe the point where it started uh, kind of getting like this for me was, I think the start of Rebel Clash format, you could start noticing that Reset Stamp was a lot worse because... It, it just didn't put your opponent down. I mean, we've talked about this the entire night, right? But it doesn't put your opponent down enough. Like, ADP, you're stamping them to three. Like, four cards is so many cards. Like you said, right? In old formats, we had Garb, and we had N to three, two, and one. Maybe you didn't get all of those, but you had the options to Garb and end them to those low numbers. And, and like you said, they have to whiff off of one of those, and then you have a chance to win the game. So it really punished players for, for going aggressive because you had to think about late game, you were going to have so many less resources available. In this format, that really isn't a thing. There is some resource managing, but it isn't as big a deal because you don't have to worry about not drawing out of those, those late-game stamp plants. I, I think that stamp plant, maybe you have to worry about drawing out of because those decks don't really have a great answer to that, but stamp plant just isn't popular in decks right now because everything needs abilities so they can't play power plant. Also, just like Crobat existing now, like power plant doesn't do anything to Crobat, so you can just quick ball for that now. Mm. Mm-hmm. And also, I think with... Uh... When it comes to, like, N, and just in general with the game at the moment, in the past, I guess this is a little bit adjacent from your topic, but you kind of, if you miss, right, you could do something else, right? You'd be like, okay, I missed, what's my second option? But now it feels like with the fast tempo of the game and no, like, I guess, restricting what your opponent does, low comeback potential, because, like, you miss, you're like, okay, well, I I lose now because I missed. Like, there's no backup. I can't try and figure out a new game plan. That's kind of it. Yeah, and I think that's that's a good ending place on this topic. Uh, I think I don't think any of us would disagree with you. Know I think it's a good take, and you know hopefully going forward we get to see more cards that are a little more complex, a little more restrictive, and uh, you know maybe an employee or R and D team member sees our podcast and goes, hey, they're right. Let's put <laughs> stuff that would fix the game.
<laughs> but yeah, that's going to wrap it up for this topic. Noah, thank you so much for coming on. Glad to have you as for has Oh my goodness. Glad to have you as a first time <laughs> guest. Hopefully we'll see you next week or in a week after. I'm going to go ahead and drag in the next caller. Any final words before we let you go? Um nope, that's about it. Thanks for having me on. No problem. Have a good one, my guy. Later now. All right, so we're going to go ahead and drag in the next one. This is a more focused on a card in a particular deck. For chat, if you don't know, exclamation mark Discord, peep the instructions channel, post your topic in the podcast topics channel, and then join the waiting room, and we'll go ahead and drag you on. We're going to go ahead and get the next caller going. Here we go. Welcome to the PTCG hotline. What is your name, and where are you calling from? Hey, I'm, uh, I'm Aaron Friedman, and I'm calling from my room in Long Beach, California. <laughs> all right that's gas what's your topic and your opinion on it so i'm going to talk about why i think that pokeball is potentially a good card in some vmax decks uh particularly centiscore yo jinx i got right disconnected now. uh sorry Aaron. so um basically i'm it, it's kind of hard to explain um i don't i'm not really sure where to start off but i think i'll just start off by saying how i uh, got to this conclusion so i was testing like sent to scorch out and the problem that i find with vmax decks right now is that besides eternatus um they don't really have like an amazing consistency engine like i don't even think eternatus does but at least there you can just sort of um find whatever pokemon you need and it sort of gets you one step closer to uh your goal which is doing more damage. But when you play a deck like Centiscorch, um, you have to be able to find pieces like Welder and uh, pieces like the VMAX. And the problem, um, which actually I think sort of stems back to also what Noah was talking about, um, there's not like, it's, it's all like individual trainer cards that uh, have these effects that don't really connect well together. Like you have Pokecom, you have Pokecom, you can sit there and um put a pokemon back get a pokemon get any pokemon but the problem is you're not going to always be able to do that because you don't always have a pokemon in hand and quick ball is only going to be able to get you basics evo incense would be good if we had already maxed out centiscorch v maxes and then um, needed more search for them uh but that works more in the green deck because you can search it out and the evo incense themselves is basically just like taking up two more spots to find specifically a v max so I came to the conclusion of Pokeball um, because I was searching through just like going through the PTCGO trainer cards and trying to see uh, what cards worked well in uh, finding Pokemon. And I came across Pokeball and everybody knows it's a 50% chance that you flip heads and get any Pokemon you want. So I incorporated it into my deck along with Pokecoms and Quick Balls because Pretty much, uh, because finding basics is going to be really important as well. You still need to be able to find Dedenes, and uh, Milo's currently plays Jirachis and stuff. And um, Pokeball was a really good way of giving me that extra shot of not only being able to find the Centiscorch of VMAX, but also being able to find Dedene or the Centiscorch of V. And so it provided a another situational out to any Pokemon that I needed. And um, it actually also brought up some interesting uh, sequencing issues when I had like Pokeball plus Pokecom and a Pokemon in my hand. Because um, then you can check the Pokeball first and then get a different Pokemon off the Pokecom. And um, I just think that 
Pokeball is something that I could see myself putting in other sorts of deck, other sorts of VMAX decks. Probably not um, Eternatus. And um, I'm not even sure like what other VMAX decks people are playing right now. Probably probably not Inteleon. I'm not really sure. But maybe Inteleon. Um, but I've honestly been liking Pokeball a decent amount. And I think I could see myself playing it in more VMAX decks that pop up as we get new sets released. As well as just playing an incentive scorch right now. Okay, uh, I can I can go first. Or do you want to go, Henry? You go ahead. No, no, no you go, you go, Isaiah. Take this. Okay. One. Uh, well, I I don't I don't really want to go first because I just kind of well I don't want to hard disagree, but I kind of disagree with the mentality of Pokeball. So I if uh, anyone else has actually any constructive thoughts before I I just say why I don't like okay. it, and that's probably better to go first. Okay, well, first off, are you playing four com to begin with? I'm playing actually my 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 trainer setup is four quick ball, three pokeball, three com. I did have mm -hmm. four com, um, but I actually I did have four of four four, but I needed to cut one of each for um another staple. Like I think I had, was a little low on energy as well, so I need to cut one of each for like an energy plus something else. I don't remember. Okay, well. You're talking about how Pokemon, you have to have the Pokemon in hand. And of course, you're ready for Pokemon you need in hand, and then you have to get rid of it, and suddenly you have some, I guess, drawbacks. Like, let's say you have a VMAX in your hand, yeah. you need Dedenne, then you can't com for the Dedenne because, well, I mean, you can, but then you lose the Center Scorch. So, you know, but then it's still better to, I guess, guarantee the Dedenne, the Dedenne than flip. Uh, but then it's the same thing. So, what are the odds that, you're, that you have a Pokemon in your hand to make com live, or what are the odds that you flip heads on the Pokeball? And the other thing as well is that. Why is Pokeball in this sense better than Great Ball? Because you argue that Pokecom might not always have a Pokemon in hand. What if you play Great Ball? Even if you miss the Pokemon you want, it still activates Com, right? And also, you could have scenarios where you could just need a Dedenne, you could need something else. Uh, let's say you have a Dedenne, you get a Dedenne off Great Ball, then you just Com one back, things like that. Like Great Ball having a higher chance to activate Com than a Pokeball would is good. Um, I also feel like you don't always like lose out on Great Ball, at least more than a Pokeball would. Uh, don't get me wrong, I don't like Great Ball necessarily, but it feels like a better fix than um, Pokeball. And I think that Pokeball as well, with like the 50% chance, uh, I said in the past, like, Com kind of has a hidden coin flip, as you were saying, but I think it's better than 50 50, um, especially in the early game. And if you're playing Jirachi as well, if you weren't playing Jirachi, I think that the value of Com would be lower. But the fact that you clearly have like a pretty high count of Pokemon is, I'd argue, a higher Com count than Pokeball in the first place. Uh, but what do you think about like the value of Great Ball over Pokeball? So I actually did think about that at first, and I was thinking like, why is Great Ball not just better than Pokeball? And um, I'm not 100% convinced it is, but uh, my reasoning made me think that it was. Um, and so basically, when you play Great Ball and when you play Pokecom, they're both dependent on how many Pokemon are in your deck, right? And I think my list, I play maybe. Um, I want to say 12 or 13 Pokemon because, you know, I have the VMAX oh, lines wow. and I have the and I have the uh, the search Pokemon, but I don't play like heavy Volcanian or anything. I think I actually play just like one Volcanian. Uh, that's just how my personal build of Santa Square is going. So um, Pokecom and Great Ball are both dependent on how many Pokemon you're in your deck. And the other thing about Great Ball is that where Eternatus can play Great Ball 
and sort of get any Pokemon and accelerate its win condition because it needs any sort of Pokemon to be able to bench it and get that extra damage output. Scentiscorch needs to be able to find specific Pokemon at specific times, particularly VMAXs and support Pokemon like Dedenne. And Great Ball is not particularly amazing at finding those specific Pokemon. And also Pokecom is... Uh, has a similar but different issue because you still need to be able to have a Pokemon in hand to be able to find those. So if you so like if you go Great Ball and you don't find the Pokemon you're looking for, you're just gonna fail it unless of course you have the Calm in hand. Um, and then if you like have Calm and you don't have the Pokemon, then you're just gonna fail the Calm anyways. You won't always have the Great Ball and the Calm in hand, but when you do, it may just work out like that. It may only, but it, but it's still only going to get you the one Pokemon that you need. Um, so the reason I think Pokeball is slightly better is because it offers a different kind of um, what's the word? It offers a different kind of drawback as opposed to Pokecom and Great Ball, both being reliant on the number of Pokemon in your deck and what sort of Pokemon you can find uh, slash what sort of Pokemon you need. Uh, Pokeball is a straight 50-50 flip. And combined with the other amounts of Pokemon search that I have in my deck, and with the added bonus that if you flip heads, you may be able to use another search card for a completely different Pokemon because maybe getting maybe you need like VMAX plus Dede, but um, if you maybe you need like uh, VMAX uh, plus Dede, but maybe if you flip heads on the Pokeball, you can search out the Dede with your other search card or um, other things. And so, like, it, it just offers that different sort of situational uh, effect that you can potentially use to accelerate your board state. And I, I totally get, like, why it seems bad. And don't get me wrong. Um, I Yeah, it to I totally understand why it, like, seems bad. But I think it's definitely something interesting to at least try out. And I think it's, like, I personally think it's not that bad. If I can get Sentiscore to VMAXs from a friend for uh, Hegster Friday, <laughs> I will be playing it. Uh, yes, assuming that I don't just get ADP'd out of the game. Um, so, yeah. All right. Well, okay, just before, I think that based on the, uh, what you're saying, you only play low count of like pokemon i feel like there's areas you could probably like shore up in a deck before you start touching pokeball like you know higher jirachi count higher just pokemon count in general because you know i feel yeah, like that pokemon count yeah. yeah so well, you, i'm you trying to, i'm trying to think right, right now i i i do play um i i'm i'll be the first to admit i'm not the most amazing deck builder and um yeah <laughs> i'm not the most amazing deck builder for sure uh for Scentiscorch particularly, like, my list is just sort of, like, straightforward. Like, I don't play Cramorant. I play, or I actually play, like, a Reshizard instead of Heatran. I've been trying that out. I'm not sure which one's better. But, like, I play, like, just a 4-3 VMAX. Uh, can't remember. 3-4 Jirachi. And then, of course, like, 2 Day Day, 1 Crobat. I think the, the main thing where it's different is I only play, like, 1 Volcanion as opposed to 4 just because... Um, when I was playing, like, the four, I was still finding it weird. I was still just, like, having these weird hands where, like... Because when you play, like, four Volcanion and Scentiscorch, you feel like you have to go second and go aggressively for that turn one player starter onto a Scentiscorch. But I was finding that, like, it was weirdly inconsistent. Uh, me, personally, I, I was finding that it was, like, weirdly inconsistent to try and, like, dig for that on a turn one 
when like that, if that's your whole turn one strategy, not only are you a welder deck, you're also sort of a stage one deck. So I was sort of building my list to be able to just like go first, get the guaranteed turn two 120 into next turn, uh, setting up for bigger KOs. Because like if you go if you go 120 with a uh, senti and then attach one from discard, and then the next turn you go welder two plus attach, that's still a team uh, yeah. by turn three. So, like, I just decided to take the go-first approach. And I still have one Volcanian because, like, if you go second and you hit the nuts, like, it's pretty good. Um, but I think that's where it seems like my Pokemon count is a bit off because people are playing, like, four Volcanian and they're playing, like, Cramorant and they're playing Heatran and they're playing all these other stuff. Whereas I'm just going, like, streamlined Centiscorches. And I wanted better chances of just being able to find Centiscorches and potentially Dudenes for turn one and turn two. And um, yeah. honestly, there's still stuff that I wish I had in my deck that I... I don't currently have. That's fair enough. Uh, I think that, yeah, I mean, coin flips in general aren't uh, ideal, but there's definitely yeah. some maths where they're probably better than other cards. But it's definitely been interesting for us to think about and discuss. So thanks for coming on, Aaron. Yeah. Oh, actually, oh, one, one more thing. Um, if you, a lot of people are just slapping like random coin flip cards into their deck anyways. Like I've seen Senta Scorch list with Crushing Hammer and Turbo Patch and all this random junk. Like, if you manage to have the space for like random crushing hammers and turbo patches, like flipping tails on those cards can end up being way more detrimental to a game plan because you could be ending up relying on a crushing hammer flip because you just made your deck that much more inconsistent. So if you're going to end up playing coin flip cards anyways, like honestly, Pokeball might just be better because it gives you that 50% chance out in like certain weird situations where, like, if you get into a dead hand, but you have a crushing hammer, like, what's that going to do? Versus dead hand plus Pokeball, well, you have a shot. And um, also, like, I just feel like Pokeball is probably a better coin flip card in that situation. I probably would yeah, play it over that. hammers in, like, ADP, but definitely in VMAX decks. I don't know why people are playing, like, crushing hammers in VMAX decks. That just seems weird. So um, that's sure something also a thought. Yeah, so yeah. I think, th I mean, the same is true. If you flip tails on your Pokegear, or Pokeball, same thing with hammer or whatever Obviously, well, yeah. it's just a little bit worse yeah. but yeah that i'm gonna go ahead and wrap this one up so we can get into some other guests but aaron thank you so much for coming on and we uh enjoyed the the take yeah Have thanks for week. having me good night no problem thanks all right so Later, uh, thank you chill tcg for the raid i'm gonna quickly explain this for all the new people here uh exclamation mark discord join the discord peep the instructions channel read that really quickly, then post your topic that you want to talk about in the podcast topics chat, and then join the waiting room call. I'll drag you in. Uh, we have about 30 minutes left on the show, so just keep that in mind. Probably going to get through, you know, probably four more guests, and then we're going to go from there. Uh, make sure that your topics are, you know, constructive. They deal with a lot of the community stuff or just something silly like uh, your favorite Skittles. So going with that, we're going to go ahead and drag in our next guest, the one and only my boy Maxlow. Where are you calling from and what's your name? <laughs> I'm calling from the, the old 256 out in Alabama, you know what I'm saying? Everybody, I'm Steven Maxlow, also known as the Floaty Cast. What's going on, boys? How y'all doing? Yes, sir. What's up, man? <laughs> What's going doing on? good, doing good. Doing All right, good. so today uh, you bring us some interesting topics. Go ahead and give them to us. All right, so my first topic is for you, Jenks. I, wanna, I, I want to understand when you dropped that food tier list forever ago, why in and out wasn't goaded, bro? What, what, what's, what's the problem here? All right. So I see from the topic you posted, these are more targeted. So I'm going to go ahead and go with mine and then let you move on to the others. So here's the reason that 
Fast or uh, In and Out wasn't ranked as highly because I believe yours was S tier, right? Or the top? Yeah. All right, so we gotta keep in mind that tier list was not made by just me. Uh, there are also two other people's opinions in that, and that went for a lot of the restaurants on there. If I had never been there, I let them rank it. So that's where I was like debating in the comments, you know, the stuff like that. As someone that grew up on the West Coast for 11 years, my dad did not like In-N-Out. Like, he still thinks it sucks. <laughs> so my family was not like an In-N-Out frequenter before moving to Maryland. I had probably had it four times. I couldn't even tell you what it tasted like back then. I just literally couldn't remember. So I kind of took me going back to Anaheim, California as my first time trying it uh, whenever I went there for World 2017, I think it was. And I really liked it then. I was about, I would, I would also rank it in the S tier when I went to Anaheim that year. The following year, when I was in there for the regionals or whatever, I remember going there with a group of, like, five, and, you know, it's good. Don't get me wrong. I don't think In-N-Out sucks. <laughs> it's just, like, compared to some of the other places, it's not as good. And I think you have to get Animal Style on literally everything for it to be S-tier. And uh, that's such, like, a limiter, right? Like, you know, the, the fries are not super special. The burgers, they're solid. The milkshakes are great. But, you know, if you're not getting an Animal Style, like, you're kind of catching an L. Yeah, fat. I'll, I'll give you that one, fat. You have to, you have to go animal style, or it's not worth it. Like, why are you even there? <laughs> exactly, exactly. So that's why, that's why it's not going to be S for me. And like, the stuff is a little underwhelming for it for me. I don't remember where I ranked it or where we ranked it, but I, you know, I don't think it's a bad restaurant. I wouldn't mind eating there. It's not something I will never touch with a ten foot fo or you know, you know what I'm trying to say. But yeah, that's, <laughs> that's going to be my wrap on that one. I got you. I got you. yo Isaiah. <laughs> Since I've been a, uh, you know, What's up? I stole your uh, Eternatus list and pretty much claimed it as my own. <laughs> How we feeling about yeah. dangerous drills, bro? You still playing them or? All right, uh, or not? I need to, I need to think about it honestly because dangerous drill was mainly in for like the very early format mirrors, right? Like you could take a huge advantage by discarding your opponent's energy. Um, there were some things like big charm and ADP at the beginning of the format, but now the format's like evolved. I don't know, thinking through the meta, um, they're not really useful versus ADP ever. They're not really useful versus Mewtwo. They're not going to be useful in Mirror. People are playing the the all basic energy variant, and um, I know I'm missing a, a meta somewhere. They're not. All right, they're okay versus Cinescorch, but I don't think in my list they're really going to be that impactful. So honestly, you're probably better off cutting them now. Maybe you want to play something like a Tool Scrapper. Maybe you want to try to play Crushing Hammers, but I think that. Dangerous Drill is kind of past its prime. It was insane at the beginning of the format, but now that the format's evolved to these kind of hyper-consistent lists, I think that E-Turn should, should probably cut it in form of, you know, some some text for the, the loot bundle matchup, if you can find any, or or just uh, maybe something to help with Crushing Hammer like Turbo Patch. Yeah, I feel that. I feel that. Uh, yeah, I just want to get your thought on that real quick. Uh, I will say, isn't Drill good against Luka Metal, though? Because you can get rid of that Goggles. Yeah, Drill is good versus Luke Metal, but um, you can just play Scrapper and have the same effect. So if Drill's not going to be good against anything else, then you can play like one Scrapper and probably have the same effect. But that matchup is rough even with the, even with oh, the yeah, Drill. For so. sure, for sure. Unless you're playing the Poison variant. Shout out to the homies playing that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that build is pretty funny. All right. Henry, I, I'd have a question for you, but I got to get going, man. So <laughs> hey, no worries. It was good hearing from you guys. I'll be back next week, maybe. Hey, yo. Thank you, Max. Uh, if everyone yeah, man. in the we'll chat hasn't checked it out, the Flow T cast. The Flow T cast is where you want to be. Check out my oh, boy. Thank you, Max, for coming on. Yo, Pimpish coming soon. <laughs> I'll see you. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, man. See ya.
All right, the next caller. I think we might only have time for two, the next two, but we might be able to get one in. We got a really interesting topic up next having to do with school and applications, and then the following one is going to be a pretty cool take on uh, flip cards. So let's go ahead and get the first person calling in. You know him as the Luke Metal Master. I'm going to go ahead and drag him in. What's your name and where are you calling from? Hello, I am Jake Gearhart, and I am the Luke Metal Master. Uh, and, uh, I, I'm from Minnesota, uh, so that's where I'm right now. Awesome, yeah. glad to have you on, Jake. What is your topic? Uh, so for me, I'm going to be sending in college applications soon, which is pretty stressful, but also exciting. Um, and I'm applying for classical music composition and programming. Uh, so one, what is your guys' favorite classical music pieces that I should take inspiration from to finish out my portfolio? We can start with that. All right. Uh, I am just going to say that I have absolutely no idea. I personally don't listen to classical music. So while I wish that I could help you here, I am going to have to tap out on this one. So uncultured, Isaiah. <laughs> yeah. I, I know. I'm sorry. These Zoomers, bro. These Zoomers. Zoomers, man. All right, Jakes, what about you as the other Zoomer around? Well, once again, going to go with Isaiah, but but I'm not that uncultured. My man Beethoven always stay cooking, so I'm going to go with... Is it called Beethoven Symphony? I'm not sure the correct name, but... Uh, I think you're thinking <laughs> of probably Beethoven. Yeah. All right, well, we'll go with uh, number five. <laughs> <laughs> yes, right. sir, yes, sir. Um, well, Jake would have heard me play some classical music on stream, uh, yeah, so I was yeah, raised I quite and exposed to quite a lot, uh, a lot of, a lot of car trips, a lot of classical music. Uh, yeah, obviously a lot of Beethoven, like the Pastoral Symphony, um, then Grieg, um, you saw me playing some Brahms on stream, so I guess any of that is pretty nice. Um, I think that they'd probably be the ones I touch on. Uh, maybe some Bach, if you want to go down that, but pretty different styles. Yeah, yeah, that's all good to think about. Yeah, I'll keep those in mind. Okay, and my uh, second question is, uh, do you guys have any ideas for any tools that, uh, like, Pokemon TCG could use, uh, like, online tools that I could potentially, like, program? Um, yeah. Okay, I actually want to go first on this one. I saw something that was incredibly cool in Verbank at some point. I don't know if it was the Poke Market. I don't know if it was Verbank. But as someone that has done a ton of pers or research on personal finance, and Jake, I don't know how interested you are on this topic, but someone, I think I don't think it was flawless, but someone designed a stock market portfolio for trading cards with with the the sudden boom in uh, the sudden boom in. Um, what's it called? Uh, the Pokemon market with Gary Vee getting into it, Logan Paul getting into it. You have all these huge influencers getting into Pokemon cards because they're basically the next sports card or whatever. I love stocks. I research them all the time. And I thought, I don't know where I saw this, but I'm pretty sure it was Verbank. And I just thought it was the coolest thing. Uh, there was a lot of comments saying it didn't work or whatever. But if that, if you could do something like that, I thought think that would be so cool. So for example, you own a Dark Blastoise first edition and you track all the eBay listings or you know whatever listings and you know average the price or whatever and then it goes up and down based on the last sold listing I think that'd be sick and you know I think colleges would actually like that a lot too yeah that's a really cool idea yeah I could work on that 
Um, I think that you're probably a little bit restricted by, when it comes to TCGO at least, by the way they work. Because I know in a lot of other card games, the API is way more accessible. Um, but when it comes to TCGO, I think it's pretty kind of, I guess, yeah, closed off. Uh, so I'm not entirely what, too sure you can make in terms of integrating with TCGO. Um, but as, as opposed to that, I think a lot of things have been done already, but maybe some kind of like decklist aggregator uh, would probably be pretty interesting to have a look at, like a program that automatically, I guess, uh, aggregates lists. But it'd be pretty hard to, I guess, uh, automate that. I'm not like that experienced in programming. But I think, yeah, something like that, like some sort of central resource for resources for decklists could be pretty cool. Yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah, and I also have uh, no idea on this one. Um, <laughs> it sounds like a great idea. It sounds like something that would uh, obviously be impressive on your application if you can pull it off. So I wish you the best of luck. And <laughs> yeah, that's about all the help I can give you, Jake. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, thank you all for your input. I will keep these in mind. Uh, no problem. Yeah. And if you and end up doing if, sorry, if you end up designing yeah. some sort of stock market portfolio for Pokemon cards, please let me know. I would love to love to work with you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'll definitely let you know. Yeah, and, and everyone go read my article I just published on six prizes. Yep. I spent a lot of time on that yesterday. <laughs> if you haven't seen Jake's uh, article and you want to learn more about Lucario Memetalization, I highly go. I highly recommend you go check it out. It is on six prizes. I believe it's free, maybe? Yeah, it's free. All right, it is free. So that means all you got to do is click the link to find it. Pretty simple. No paywall needed. Thank you, Jake, for coming on. And we're going to go ahead and move into our last guest for the night. Thanks, Thank Jake. You See you, my guy. All right, so last guest of the night. Here we go. We're going to go ahead and drag him in. Welcome to the PTCG Hotline. You're going to be our last guest of the night. What's your name and where are you calling from? Oh, one second. I think my uh, audio is messed up. One sec. No problem. We got a fellow streamer in the call. So we gotta get that god audio. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go. All right, I believe I can hear now. I'm sorry about that. No worries. What's your name and All where right. are you calling from? So I am nine out of Ben, or that's what most people know me by, as. Uh, and my topic is, uh, and this is sort of a hot take, but if you have space for crushing hammer in your deck, and you are not specifically a stall deck. You're better off playing Judge Whistle for consistency. Okay. Um, also, the first thing. I think that this take might technically be true, but I also think that it's kind of a broad take because I think there's like an infinite number of good cards you can play over Crushing Hammer. So when you say you can play Judge Whistle over it, I can say, yeah, you could play Judge Whistle, or you could play Fourth Cherish Ball, Third Dedenne, Etc. 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 So I do you mean like Judge Whistle is good, or are you just trying to use it as a comparative for look how bad this card is? Even this card is better than Crushing Hammer. So I think it's a little bit of both, and this comes from my background knowledge in other TCGs such as Magic: The Gathering, where you're allowed more than a sixty card deck, but no matter how right. good that sixty first card in your deck is, you always cut it. If it is the 61st card in yeah. your deck, you always cut it for consistency reasons. The same logic applies to Pokemon most of the time. You always want the most consistent form of a deck. And if you are able to play a 56-card deck as opposed to a 60-card deck, that gives you a massive advantage over your opponent. So I, 
I um I've also played a, a good bit of other trading card games, and I've thought about this. Uh, I've talked with one of my good friends, Preston Ellis. We've talked about this topic a lot, and I actually think that it's kind of hard to put that logic into Pokemon because if you look at the games, they're completely different, right? It, a card in Magic that said discard your hand and draw seven would probably be the best card ever printed in the game. Like mm-hmm. that would actually be insane. But in Pokemon, it's a card that we we have the luxury of having every format. We have a card that does that. We have another card that says discard your hand and draw six, so we can see. 13 cards of our deck every turn. While in Magic, they see one, right? They see the top card of their deck. So in Magic, having that extra card, like if Pokemon, we drew one card every turn, then that time I draw that Crushing Hammer, I might lose the game because they don't have an energy. Where if I draw Judge Whistle, like in Judge Whistle, draw an extra card. But in Pokemon, like I can draw the Crushing Hammer and then research and draw seven and then Dedenne and draw six. And then, you know, uh, I just have so much reach in Pokemon that... I feel like um, you can't really compare the two because whenever Judge Whistle came out, there was a lot of talk of everyone's going to play four, you get a 56-card deck, but Pokemon's kind of the opposite. I have a lot of decks that I would want to play 70 cards in if I could. There's just so much in Pokemon you want to fit. More cards in Pokemon often equals more consistency, which is the opposite of of Mm -hmm. other games. So I I think that that's kind of a a hard thing to do just because it's it's just completely opposite of the other games and how it's built. So I can see your point. A counter to that, though, is yes, you can have your research and your didone, and let's say you have a max out research count, a max out didone count, it is more digging than even that. So, like, let's say you have four judge whistles in your deck, and you research, and you draw all four judge whistles, and then you play all four judge whistles into four more cards, you're digging not seven cards, but 11. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's fair. I just think that at some point, there comes diminishing returns on the amount of consistency um, you put in your deck. And I think that that's a, an interesting topic on the t- trading card game you could talk about forever, probably. But, um, yeah, I just think there's diminishing returns for putting in this four Judge Whistle, where you can play four Crushing Hammer, which I don't think is an amazing card, but do win you games. I have lost plenty of games to ADPs that have four Crushing Hammer for some reason, but they flip heads, and then I lose the game because I don't have energy on board. So... Crushing Hammer is such a high-impact card, and Judge Whistle is such a, honestly, such a low-impact card in a lot of situations that that's why I feel that um, it might actually be better to play Crushing Hammer because the kind of game that Pokemon is. Yeah, so I think that um, I think it's heavily deck-dependent, right? Because Judge Whistle as a card in general is very niche, so it's not really like Acrobike where you're guaranteed to get Deep Dig or anything. It, again, it just makes you play a 56-card deck. Now, when it comes to... The only deck that I've ever seen it played in, uh, which I somewhat agreed with it, its inclusion, like I did was um, was Greenzard that Joao played and you know Braga played and a bunch of uh, other people in South America played. And they won a lot of events with it. And that was because it was a greens deck, right? And so the only reason they played it was to really get into greens because it like absolutely needed to, right? And that was on top of Acrobike and Gear and you can understand the inclusion. But when it comes to like over Crushing Hammer in these decks that already played Dedenne and already have so many extenders to their play, like so many so much draw power and everything it really doesn't seem like much of a reason to me to be putting judge whistle in uh, i've seen some inclusions in Eternatus just because you want to go really fast uh, but you could argue that at the same time like a heads on crushing hammer is so impactful like think about as Isaiah was saying the adp versus mewtwo matchup like if they if you go first as yep. mewtwo and then they flip heads on crushing hammer you probably lose like every time mm-hmm. like you, you almost can't win and so the impact of crushing hammer whilst i don't agree with playing it is so big that I'd argue that it has more impact over Judge Whistle. At the very least, uh, you could agree that, you know, you shouldn't be playing the Hammers in the first place, and you should be playing other 
better consistency cards or other you know power cards, but uh, I don't think Judge Whistle is the one. Mm-hmm. And I think that was mostly my point, regardless, is just play more consistency cards, regardless. Uh, uh, Judge Whistle was just like the yeah, example yeah. off the top of my head, you know? Yeah. So yeah sure. I'm going to go ahead and agree with Henry and Isaiah. I think that the effect on some of these cards, namely uh, Crushing Hammer and even Pokemon Catcher to an extent, is just too good. And uh, uh, Ben, I'm going to have to agree with you that as a consistency card, it's definitely good. Um, Henry did a perfect example, kind of took what I was going to say. The uh, So I'm agreeing with him in that sense. We see players like uh, Joao and Alexander Braga playing this card in greens because if you don't find greens, you kind of just lose. Your deck you know, doesn't have a lot going for it, just has a bunch of tag teams, and the greens is really how you get going. And they played that Judge Whistle on top of the other draw to get into it, and I think that that was, you know, it served its purpose. It was really good. It wasn't actually something we saw that got adapted outside of some of those South American tournaments. But uh, I think as a consistency card, it's completely fine, but uh, for a lot of these decks, Crushing Hammer and Pokemon Catcher might just be more effective. Especially with so much, uh, yeah, it's, already. It's also like I mean, it's also just like I said at the beginning. They're they're just kind of better consistency cards in, in most situations. You know, Aaron was on last time talking about how he wanted to play Pokeball on his deck, and we wouldn't say, "Well, play Judge Whistle." You know, your deck will be more consistent. You'll find your Senna Scorch. Um, we would say, you know, play play Great Ball, play Pokecom, play that fourth V Max, play Cherish Ball to get your Dedenne. Uh, I think that in this training card game, especially right now, we're spoiled with the amount of consistency cards we have. So it's hard to to um, lose out on four spots whenever we have such broken cards in format. Yeah, and also I think that um, the big thing, with the reason people playing Crushing Hammer is that sometimes the deck maybe doesn't even need more consistency. You know, like they might just not be able to speed certain matchups without the help of these like unfair coin flip like cards that give them so much power in the game. Like think about ADP versus Mewtwo, like matchup's pretty unfavorable even with more consistency. Um and so denying that flare blitz or denying a turn just attacking turn two, things like that. Um whilst I wouldn't do go that way, you can justify trying to fix your bad matchups through I guess like almost cheating <laughs> with coin flips. Yeah, that's like the entire strategy of Pikram right now. They have a lot of matchups that they can't do anything about pace, but they're a deck that can draw so many cards and fit four hammers and two Yelgrunt that they say, well, I'm just going to kind of sack you and make you not attack. And my deck is worse, but that's fine because your deck isn't going to work. Yep. Yep, and I think that's going to be a wrap on the topic. It was really cool, and I really liked the connection to other games from Ben, and then I know Isaiah has been experimenting with stuff like Magic and whatnot, so it was really cool to see the explanation there. I know that from Magic players that I've met in the past, the draw 7 effect, like Isaiah mentioned, is just completely unheard of. Um, but I'm going to go ahead and give you the final say on the topic, Ben, and uh, if, if nothing else, we're going to have uh, go ahead and wrap up here. Uh, I just really appreciate you guys' insight. I, I agree with, like, 99% of what you guys said. So, yeah, uh, <laughs> I definitely think consistency over flip cards. But, yeah, you're right. Like, some of those flip cards, like Hammer, are so important in matchups that are unfavorable, like ADP versus Mewtwo, that sometimes it's justifiable to have a less consistent deck to beat a whole, like, percentage of decks in the meta that you would otherwise auto-lose to. Absolutely. And uh, that's it's a great topic. I love it. And I think as as Braga, one of the the judge whistle players himself, said in the topics chat, best best topic he's read tonight. So love the topic topic, Ben. <laughs> Glad to have you on. Yep. And uh, we'll we'll see you in the next weeks, hopefully. But uh, that's gonna be it for tonight, guys. Another successful episode of. And there we go, Joao in the chat saying the card is still good. 
We got both the boys in here. No, repping, stop. Repping it was the never whistle. Good. Stop, stop. <laughs> but that's going to be it stop. for another episode of the PDTG Hotline, the show with the hottest takes and talks that involves you, the viewer. I'm going to go ahead and give it to Henry and Isaiah for closing, and then I'll do a final wrap up before we head home. So, Benry, take it away. Um, yeah, well, this was a good one. Thanks for everyone calling in. Uh, thanks, Isaiah, as well, for coming. Um, thanks for having me, yeah. as always, Will, for being a co host. Uh, it was good. I liked a lot of the topics. I feel like uh, I'm almost becoming a broken record when it comes to these things uh, and the health of the format, but it's always interesting to talk about. Uh, so, yeah, thanks, everyone, for coming along. Uh, Isaiah, let's close it out. Uh, yeah, just thank you, everyone, for coming on. Thank you, Will and Henry, for having me on this podcast. Uh, you have a few shout-outs. Uh, I, I'm on Twitter. Follow me at Isaiah Bradner, and then I'm on Twitch at Bradner Blastoise. Go follow me on those two mediums. And then I write articles for uh, Channel Fireball. So, you can go and uh, see my, my articles there. But yeah, that's it. Thank you both uh, so much for having me on. And thank you for everyone for, for bringing the interesting topics tonight. Absolutely. Glad to have you on, Isaiah. For the chat out there, we had a great time having Isaiah on. And we will probably have him on again as he is one of my closest friends. But so. if you have someone that you want to see on the podcast for next week or a future week, please be sure to let me know and Henry know. That can be through Discord, through messages, through chat right now, through Twitter, anything like that. We want to get these guests weekly so that we can get, you know, different insight from different players, not always just, you know, me and Henry on the cast. That's the goal with these special guests. And this is the podcast that involves the hot topics and takes. We want to hear you guys as the viewers and this function, this podcast wouldn't function without you guys. So big thanks to all of you out there. And uh, as Isaiah said, CFB Pro, if you're going to sub to... CFB Pro, you better be using code Jenks and not code whatever Bradner's is. So that's going to wrap it up for it this one. Bradner. Thank you guys so much for being here. Later. See you guys.